Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. As we start into this new series, I should say, there's a couple of new things that we're going to incorporate into our gatherings together. And one of those is the reading of the Lord's Prayer. Another one is each week, I'm gonna bring a card for us, we're gonna bring a card for us, for a new practice of prayer. So let me explain this a little bit. Our hope would be that as you hear and learn about new practices, maybe new to you, or ancient practices, things you've done before, that you would have a little a little stack of cards at your bedside table or wherever that, that sometimes in prayer life we can just get stuck. And these are ways to sort of um, bring fresh ideas or fresh ways to engage in prayer. So this part gets really practical. This morning, we have two sides, and our prayer practice is to pray with the Lord's Prayer. Now, on the one side, it's to memorize, and that's why we're going to say this every morning together. Some people grew up in traditions where um, saying a memorized prayer is really common. Some of us, however, grew up in traditions that you sort of felt a little bit like you checked out as soon as you all started to say something together. I encourage you to memorize the Lord's Prayer for several reasons. First of all, there is great beauty in joining with the words of church for generations and generations that we have prayed to God. And um, there's just beauty in having this memorized in part because we're joining in with a really beautiful tradition of the saints through time. But secondly, sometimes when you're just stuck and don't even know what to pray, it's great to have these somewhere deep in your heart and mind memorized to bring you back, to pray a prayer that's been prayed before. It's a tool for you to have something memorized in your own mind. On the other side, It's another practice with the Lord's Prayer, which is to personalize. So we have it to memorize and to personalize. And this, I took uh, the Lord's Prayer out of a different version, so it's not quite those familiar words that you can get going um, in a memorized way, just because it's a different uh, translation. But what you do is you pray each line, and then you sort of translate it into your own words and thought. So take the concept, and what does it mean to... Pray for your daily bread today. What is that in your own personalized life? So this is one tool. And when we come up for communion later, um, I would love for you guys to take one of these and just keep them, tuck them in your Bible. And at the end of this series, we'll have six different practices that you sort of have tucked in your pocket. Um, Because praying is um, really vast and mysterious and how we do it in a lot of different ways are can be good tools so that's why we're going to to do those and just the call behind all of this you guys truly my heart and my prayer over these weeks in preparing for this is that um that we engage with prayer wherever you are in your prayer life that you just say you know what i'm gonna just engage deeply with prayer or in some new way if i'm not a person of prayer i'll just try it out practice try Just try, let's see where six weeks of prayer will take us individually and as a community. I think powerful things can come out of this. As you know, we're coming out of the book of Acts. We were in the first half and we'll return to the second half later. But we were looking at the marks of the early church. And the reason that we're doing prayer now is that prayer was a key mark. It was a key mark from the praying community, the worshiping community. And we're still called to prayer now, very much so as the people of God. I'm gonna give you this disclaimer up front. What this series will not do is study how prayer works. There's a lot of mystery with prayer. And there's 
it's okay if you have doubts or confusion about how prayer works. We aren't actually going to do get into the how, the theology behind how this works. We're going to accept in this series that this is a marvelous and mysterious truth. The God of the universe wants us to pray with God. That's amazing. Not just to God, with God, meaning conversationally, listening and talking. Some feel defeated right out of the gate. I'll just say this. Maybe some of you grew up either hearing explicitly or implicitly that all of history was already decided. And so what does it matter to pray? God already knows what God's going to do. And we don't believe that here. That's, I don't believe that to be true at all. The Bible doesn't teach that. Old Testament examples and stories, um, Richard Foster uh, points out, in Old Testament, they speak constantly of God changing his mind in accordance with his unchanging love. The love never changes, but the path that is taken is impacted by prayer. God, the Lord sometimes changes his mind. I have two examples here, Exodus 32, 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he'd threatened to bring to the people. Jonah 3.10, when the gods saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Prayer impacts outcomes. It's true. What about when God doesn't change his mind? I know, that's super frustrating. It's more than frustrating. It hurts, and it can really frustrate our prayer life. And I apologize again. I cannot answer some of these mysterious questions. And I know the hurt, and I will sit with you in the hurt and pray with you or for you in the hurt. There is a lot we just don't know. But we do know this. Prayers make an objective difference. We see it in stories of the Bible time and time again, and we hear it in the ongoing testimony of Christian witness again and again. Prayers make an objective difference. And the second thing we're gonna lean in on is Jesus prayed. The Son of God was and still is a man of prayer. Jesus prayed and he taught his followers to do the same. So we're gonna learn from his teaching. There are one million, probably more than a million, resources on prayer. Really, really, really good things in different directions we could go. We're gonna lean in learning specifically from Jesus, from his teachings and from his recorded prayers that we have in scripture. But today we're gonna to start talking about Jesus's posture of prayer. We're gonna do this because we all learn from the posture, from, from the actions of our mentors, right? Teachers, parents. I thought about this when I was thinking about, like, what does it look like when we know we're learning a posture without even being spoken to about it? When our kids were really little and we had a like, totally normal Friday night at home where nothing special was happening, I used to try to excite them that it was something special. And I did this with this clever little idea that I had. I would just say, oh, you know what? Let's have a pea party. Pillman's, pigtails, pajamas, pizza, popcorn, and Pixar movie, right? I thought it was very clever. Really, it just meant get through your tubby time and get to a frozen pizza. Like, that was it. But it was a pea party, and I'd sell it really good. Well, fast forward, after a little while of this, our youngest came up to me and went like this. But her eyes really big. Imagine like a three-year-old. Mommy, let's have a pea party. We'll have ice cream 
and we'll watch cartoons. And I realized she has no idea the cleverness of my naming of this party. She can't spell, I went completely over her head, but what she learned is that if you wanna get someone bought in, you bend your knees and you put your hands together and you open your eyes really big and you bounce. And she would try to sell me things that way. And they still do to this day. Now they've transitioned. We call them keywords in our family. Gigi just did it to me yesterday. She wanted me to do something for her, so she used a bunch of keywords like adventure, cozy, family time, and they sell it to me, and every time I laugh, because it works, it's like good marketing, right? But it's posturing. We learn from our mentors' posture, their actions, what they do. If you're a musician, you probably watch how a musician uh, similar to you uh, holds his instrument or moves during song, all of that. We watch, and we learn through watching. So that's why we're starting with the posture. Because the disciples, remember, they'd been praying their whole lives. They were faithful Jews that were following Jesus at this point in the Gospels. And they watched Jesus' prayer life, and they asked him to teach them to pray. When we think about the context of the Jews, early Jews, right, we have to remember, Nijay Gupta points out, historically, begin with the fact that Israel always viewed prayer as conversation and worship. I love that simple definition. Conversation and worship in communion with a personal God. A God who was longing to seek after God's people and made ways for prayer as conversation and worship. But something, so they already were people of prayer, but something about the quantity and quality of Jesus praying caused them to see how little they knew and ask to learn more. Something was going on. But this should be comforting to us. They wanted to learn. It's okay to learn. Prayer can be learned if it's not something that already comes naturally. It can be learned. EM Bounds, I've told you guys that sometimes if I have resources that I think are helpful, I'll try to bring them so you can take a look at them later. So EM Bounds literally wrote this huge book on prayer or a whole collection of works that they put together into a book. But he's like, when they say he wrote the book on prayer, that's EM Bounds. I'll probably quote him a lot in this series, but. I love this, praying is the best school in which to learn to pray. Prayer is the best dictionary to define the art and nature of praying. We learn by praying. And so all the resources that we do, all the techniques, all of that, pray also. And that's the best school in which to learn prayer. So you might pause for a second and say, but wait, why did Jesus pray? Jesus is fully God. Yes, fully human, and there's another one of those mysteries that we can't fully answer, but it's true. But if Jesus is fully God, why did God pray to God? Why why would that need to happen? Here's two things I want to point out to you. Jesus wanted to pray. God is a relational God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect relationship in all of eternity past. Jesus wanted to pray, to keep in that relationship. He never wanted to be separated from the will or the heart of the Father. In addition to wanting to pray, Jesus needed to pray. He wanted to stay and needed to stay tethered to the strength of the Holy Spirit in and through him to carry out the will of the Father. So if Jesus is a person of prayer, it's exciting that we get to be as well. Chloe read that passage in Mark 1 where the disciples had been... um, Working, Jesus had been working with many sick and demon-possessed people. The whole town was gathering to watch, right? And he was casting out demons, and he was doing healing work and all of this. And 
Verse 35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went to find him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. And he continued to travel on. What we see here is a rhythm of prayer that happened throughout Jesus's ministry. He was very actively in intense ministry, healing and uh, demon possession and oppression healings as well. He was in ministry and then he would retreat to pray to get what he needed to go back to ministry. It was like, it was like an ocean flow, right? That like wave after wave, you needed to go and do both, to have both. And that was just part of the activity that was part of what Jesus did. Now in scripture, I think one of the things that is um, helpful for me is to try to do like an imaginative reading of scripture because you can quickly pass by what it must have felt like to be with that group of disciples and with Jesus. They were exhausted, you guys. Can you imagine the crowds? They all wanted to watch. They wanted to get healed. Just think of the tactile nature. And there were people that needed to be taught and healed, and he was traveling, and they were just so weary. Mark 6, 30 to 34, we hear that many people were coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. Jesus said, come away and rest a while. He had to put those rhythms into their habit. It would literally have been the most unending lineup of work to be done. They were exhausted. Because we remember that when the Son of God took on humanity willingly, he took on physical limitations. Jesus needed food. He needed sleep. He could feel exhaustion. He could only physically be in one place at one time. But in all of Jesus' encounters, you notice he never seems rushed. He's fully engaged, fully present in each encounter that we read about. I confess, I have much to learn from that part of Jesus' posture because in my own growth to Christ-likeness, that non-rushedness, he was so fully present. How did he decide? How did he decide who to engage with? Which healings he could take on? Which town to go to next? What to teach where? He was in constant communication with the Father about the will of God. His prayer life in order, uh, allowed him to know and to be resting and present where he was, knowing this is where I'm supposed to be in this given moment. And he was dependent on the Spirit for the, to act out, to empower him to act out the will of God as well. That's his prayer life, a constant communication. Now, saying that can be intimidating. There's that one verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, where the instructions say, always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Never stop praying. I have to go to the grocery store. Like, I have to go take my kids to school. What does that even mean? It means an ongoingness of prayer that allows it to seep into your rhythms, into your habits, into your little moments can go to prayer. It doesn't have to be a perfect candlelit moment of silence and peace with good music in the background and, you know, dear father. It, do, it doesn't always have to be formal. It needs to be just woven into everything. It's a relationship. This relationship with God, a deeply relational God, and we need to invest our commitment, and it does, it means time, investing. So we want to learn from Jesus in our own path to Christ-likeness. So let's learn quickly from watching Jesus' actions. I point out just a few. There's a lot of scripture going on in here, but just like look at the overarching themes. First of all, 
the Gospels time and time again link prayer to really big key moments in the ministry of Jesus. For example, at his baptism, when the people were being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened up. We link that moment, and that's a key identifying moment to Jesus as the Son of God. Immediately before choosing his 12, this is a really big decision. And he goes and spends the night away to pray all night and then comes back and calls his 12. It's also immediately before the transfiguration, this moment where a couple of the disciples join Jesus at the top of a mountain and his divinity is sort of on display in this, in this divine moment and they were going up that mountain to pray. And then also immediately before the raising of Lazarus, this amazing miracle that just showed the power of the son of God, identified Jesus as Messiah, right? And he prayed to God right before raising uh, Lazarus. It's really important. They connect Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in prayer in the Gospels in key moments. But we also see a bunch of places where the Gospels just sort of just say, and by the way, he got alone to pray. Uh, time and time again, Jesus went to an isolated place to pray. After he took leave of them, he went on the mountain to pray. Uh, while he was praying alone, it's just sort of like in passing, it's describing, this is just part of what Jesus always did. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray so he could return to the real rhythms of life that he was living. We also see that not only did he pray in isolation, but he prayed publicly. I'll go through these quickly as well. Um, he prays blessing over the food before feeding the thousands in a miraculous way. He prays over children, uh, praying blessing over them, including when people were trying to shush them away. He prays prayers of intercession. It's recorded in Luke 22 that Jesus was praying for Peter that he wouldn't lose faith. And we also see it in moments of uh, intercessory prayer for healing. He looks to the heavens. His healing is coming in a moment of prayer. And a quick word in that one. That's a really cool example of his posture of prayer because it's not a big stop everything, dear father moment. It's a cry out to heaven and a healing prayer. So it's like, it, it's just this posture that is ongoing thing. And he also prayed in the middle of his teaching sometimes. He would be in the middle of teaching and then say a prayer. Matthew 11 records that. So anyway, I give you those examples quickly because it's just so expected. And prayer is a huge thing in the Gospel of Luke. And as we talked about, Acts is written by the same author. And um, sorry, I always forget to turn off my notifications. And Luke talks again about how Acts is just covered in acts of prayer. And so that should mark the life of Jesus and it should mark the life of us as the church. To do his Father's will, he must stay in intimate fellowship with the Father. And prayer fosters relationship. So if Jesus prioritized prayer in his ministry, the end point of this posture of prayer is, you guys, we, we should too. Not just we should, like we get to. We get to. But it can sometimes feel a little hard. When I was just reading through, I spent a lot of time in all of those passages, reading all of these. And I was like, what, what is it that we see? What excites me when I look at Jesus's posture? I see passion, obe uh, obedience, yes, commitment, but expectancy. And I think sometimes the commitment and obedience needs to come first. If the passion and expectancy haven't yet caught up, that's okay. But we see that this posture of prayer bred those things, passion, commitment, obediency, obedience, and expectancy. His passion came out of his passion for the relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? 
that's what I noticed. Like prayer was the way to foster the passion for relationship. It was at the root, the passion for this connectedness. And that means honoring God for who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's an interesting thing that we see tied together in the prayer of Jesus. Yes, there's intimacy, but yes, there's also reverence. Sometimes I can get really um, off on my balance between those two, right? I can suddenly think, I'm, I'm talking to Jesus like a friend, but Jesus is the Son of God. You are holy, hallowed be thy name, Father. And I think that one of the things is it's okay to be messy in the middle, but prayer can hold both together. Intimacy and reverence. Interestingly enough, without even knowing what we were going to be um, preaching on this week, I had two conversations with friends this week that were talking about prayer. And it was both cases, this sense of like discouragement, right? My prayer life doesn't look like these other people's, and so I feel like it's, you know, like maybe other people would think it's, it's not right or something. Like a sense of being judged. And so, oh my gosh, wouldn't that break the heart of God? Like, you're, like think about as, as, a, as what you, if you've seen a parent and a child comes up to them and just opens up conversation. Man, it's okay, whatever that looks like. It doesn't have to look like other people's. It, but it, it just looks different for other people. Another person said, I, just, I get nervous praying in a group. Like, maybe I won't know the words. Again, our humanity tends to bring in either self-judgment or the expectation that others are going to be judging us. And you guys, I just think that that would break God's heart. It's not about comparison at all. We should delight to know and celebrate that there are different experiences of prayer. Some people, yes, they pray and they're prone to to see um, images or to get a word in prayer. Some people are intercessors. They put those words out there and things happen. Some people read a prayer that's been written by somebody before. Other people pray in tongues because it's prayer. It's fostering intimacy and allowing reverence. Whatever that looks like for you, engage. It's not a comparison exercise. We have to come against that. Rich Velotis wrote this, and I loved it. Whenever I hear of people being recognized as spiritual masters or masters of prayer, I don't think of them as people who have some kind of secret sauce that makes their prayer life extraordinary. I think of them as people who have determined day in and day out to return to the simple act of being with God. Like with most of our closest relationships, even in the ordinary moments, our shared presence is a gift. I've had seasons of prayer where my prayers are wordless. Silent prayer, that sounds counterintuitive, but it was delightful. I've had, I've had different seasons, and that's why we're giving different practices, because this is the thing. It's not about comparison. It's about commitment. It's about obedience and commitment of time and just trying and believing with expectancy that God moves. God's invited us to pray. That's a big deal. Prayer is the best school in which to learn to pray. Ian Bounds again. So if someone has a different expression in their prayer life, don't do comparison. Take that as an encouragement. How wildly creative is our God? How wildly relational is our God? That God listens to the prayers of a child and the prayers of of a monk who's been praying in silence for years. God listens to klutzy prayers God listens to silent prayers. God invites us to pray, but we need to practice. And remember this, when we read the Gospels, Jesus was never asking people to have it all together to be in his presence. Quite the opposite, right? 
Look who Jesus was hanging out with. Not the people who had the perfect words or the perfect look to their prayer. They was the messy, broken people. Those were the ones Jesus gravitated to. I think that means he's going to just gravitate to our messy, broken, fumbly prayers. Including when I get talking too fast up here and I get stumbly. I just pray that God still will make sense of the words I say. Because it's the spirit who's doing the work as we enter into relationship with God. That's longing to learn in this posture that's longing to worship it is also deciding to pray prayer is our commitment to the relationship that jesus already created we have to remember that jesus made the path so that we could have a relationship with god that's a really big deal you guys the son of god willingly was crucified and resurrected so that we could be made right with god so that we could come into his gates with thanksgiving we could enter in messy and broken in prayer. Jesus already paved the path. It literally is just for us to enter into that relationship now in prayer. Wherever you are in your prayer life, I ask you to just engage intentionally over these next six weeks. Let's see as a community what God might stir up. I want us to be able to share stories of our prayer. I want us to respond with extra time for prayer. We're gonna leave a little extra time for prayer today as we respond to the word that's been preached. I'm gonna spend some time in prayer and then we're also gonna have prayer response started again. But here's where I want us to leave. But before we respond, I was reading this um, just over a week ago and I was just struck by this moment. So I wanna read this. So there's this moment in Matthew where if you have a red letter Bible, the one where Jesus's words are read, the, the spreads are just all red for a little section of Matthew here. So in the middle of all of this amazing teaching, Jesus stops, starting in verse 25. At that time, in the middle of his teaching, Jesus prayed this prayer. Oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then Jesus said, listen to this, church. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, including teaching you to pray. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. You guys, we enter into prayer. We are coming to Jesus even when we are weary and heavy burdened. Jesus has invited you wherever you are. Whether you pray in tongues or you pray out of the Book of Common Prayer or you've never prayed before, no matter what, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Enter into this relationship. Let me teach you. Let's grow in this relationship together. That's Jesus' invitation to us. And we, church, get to respond to that invitation in simple prayer, in glorious prayer, in forced prayer, whatever. We're gonna try, we're gonna commit, and we're gonna engage with the prayer and with Jesus in this season. So I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna start. You can't talk about prayer and not pray. That would be really weird and wrong. So I'm gonna pray um, over us. I don't have notes for this. I don't know what I'm gonna pray yet, but that's what we're gonna do. And then we're gonna stand up and continue on with a couple different ways to respond. So. Um,
like I just in the posture of teaching, one of the things that I sometimes do is I start with a moment of just being quiet because I have to stop with all the words and the things and just center my own heart and, and just be listening for a minute. So don't let this be awkward. You listen too. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. I honor you, Father. You are holy. You are awesome. You are mighty to save. You are quick to mercy. I thank you, Jesus. I can't believe you made a way for messy, stumbly word people to just come before you. I confess, God, I, I've brought so many weird things in prayer, things that felt too little, and I felt embarrassed, and you've responded in love. Things that felt too big, and sometimes the mountain didn't move, and I've been mad. I confess all of that. I confess, God, I'm sorry about the times I've actually cussed in prayer. I'm just being honest. I don't think that that's right, and I, but I do it sometimes. And I just like, thank you that you can take, the Psalms show us you are holy and able to take all of that. Our screaming, our yelling, our shaking, our fists, our anger, our hurt, our worry, our praise, our trust. When we declare trust before we feel it, God, I pray that you just will accept that as uh, a holy fragrant offering. I'm gonna actually pray a prayer of that right now. God, I trust that you will move us as we commit in prayer, as we commit to grow, that things will happen. Hearts will be shaped, hearts will be formed. People will come into further intimacy with you, into further reverence of you. God, stir our hearts to prayer. God, stir our hearts to prayer. Stir our hearts to pray to you. When we're washing the dishes, when we're driving the car, remind us that you're there. The conversation path has been made open to us. God, stir our hearts to prayer. We trust you. We pray for more trust in you. We confess sometimes we don't trust you, but we believe we can trust you in faith. All of these things, God, are true in different moments. I thank you that you accept all of those, those things that we bring before you. As we bring them in prayer, will you shape our hearts, stir our hearts to pray? We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.